Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. Uh, yeah, but still football. Football's happening. I know you all are excited about basketball. Great win last night for the Tigers, beating Central Michigan. Again, Central Michigan cannot get over the Missouri hump in 2021. Hmm. That was a good... Congratulations to the Squeaky Hoops Tigers. Uh, we're here to talk to you about the gridiron. The Missouri Tigers on the football field that we have followed for the past couple months. And we are heading into the, the end of the season here, the last stretch of three games. Will they get seven? Will they only stay at four? I don't know. BK, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. I said on Sunday as we recorded, people heard that on Monday, maybe as they were heading into work for a little Mizzou uh, reacts from the weekend. I, this is an exciting week. This is a fun week because Missouri is playing a game that I legitimately don't know what's going to happen. And I haven't been able to say that in a month. So for me, Nate, this calls for some sort of a celebration and I'm looking forward to it. How you doing, man? <laughs> Good, good. Got the stink of Georgia off me, finally. Went through the Beyond the Box score. There really wasn't much anything interesting to talk about in, uh, as far as like in-depth stuff goes. Um, penalties were low, but you can kind of probably chalk that up to referees not wanting to have to drag the game out any further than it needed to be. Uh, one interesting thing of note that I will bring up before we get going. Actually, we'll do two quick things. Number one, the running game. Missouri had its worst rushing game of all season. All season. Uh, they had a 34% success rate rushing the ball, which, again, worst of all season. Um, 
And yet, at the same time, Georgia didn't do much better. And I think that's kind of the main story of, of, of that game. You know, we talked about the defense and we talked about the quarterbacks. So, so focusing on the defense here, apparently stacking nine guys in the box does a good job of slowing down opposing running games. And it worked really well. Georgia was held to uh, one of the uh, 46% success rate, which is typically not what they do. Uh, Obviously, it's Georgia. So there's five-star guys in the line and there's five-star guys in the backfield. So they're usually doing a lot better than than just uh, hanging out in the 40s. Um, But yeah, typically their their rushing success rate's about 50%. And Missouri held them uh, a couple points below that. So if you told me that Missouri's rushing attack and Georgia's rushing attack would both be the worst of all year before this game started, I would have been really confused, really confused. Like really Georgia's averaging 80% success rate on the ground so far this year. Uh Um, But yeah, I thought uh, Missouri defense did really well. Obviously they got burned in other ways, uh, but that's kind of what you want, right? When you throw the ball, it can be a completion, it can be an incompletion, or it can be an interception. And creating that variance by throwing the ball is is something that we've been calling for all year, and it didn't work against the greatest team in the nation, but I do think it's something that can it's work better. forward. It's better to watch just as a fan, right? And I know, like, if you're sitting at home and you're, you're driving to work or wherever you're listening to this, maybe you're sitting at work at this moment, and you're saying to yourself, Missouri lost 43-6 to and they're crediting the defense. What are we doing here? I get it. I hear you. But Georgia's really, really good. And if Missouri plays the way they did against Georgia, against South Carolina, Florida and Arkansas, they're going to have much more success defensively. Uh, Frankly, they might have some of their most success that they've had all season long. That was just a different defensive unit than what we've seen so far this year. Schematically, they were different. Personnel wise, they put different dudes on the field. Um, It seems to be that they put their best players, frankly, on the field. I saw a quote from Blaze Aldridge mm-hmm. earlier today. We we're recording this on Wednesday night, and he said that they seem to be getting a better grasp right now for what they're actually trying to do defensively. I and I do that. think that's an yeah. important part of this is um, I, I remember there was a quote that I heard from a coach recently. It was Craig Berube, the St. Louis Blues coach. And I promise I'm going to tie this, this back into Mizzou. Uh, <laughs> he said that the biggest thing with coaching young players now in the NHL, but it applies anywhere, really is explaining the why, not just the what, what do I do on this play? That's not enough now. For better or for worse, it's just not enough. Players want to know why. Why am I doing that on this play? And I do wonder if that's what's starting to settle in for some of these players. Is not just, okay, on this play against this look, I go here. But also, why do you go there? Because that's when the intuition can kind of take over. If you know why you're going there... And you see, oh, they're doing something else than what I expected to happen here. And I know why I'm supposed to be here is to cover that guy. And he's not coming here. Well, maybe you go cover that guy. There are just things that become more possible when you have a deeper understanding of what you're trying to accomplish defensively. So I do think that's an important piece to what we might have learned in Georgia against Georgia. And yes, I understand it came when the defense allowed 43 points. I get that. They do have some things that they legitimately put on tape in that game that I I believe can be something worth learning from. So uh, against South Carolina, if you put that same effort out there, South Carolina's quarterbacks are going to make far more mistakes than Georgia's did. And that's something that can help you not only compete in this game, but probably win this game. Absolutely. I think that that that's the biggest thing is that South Carolina does not have Georgia's athletes, particularly on offense. Um, 
Florida doesn't either, and neither does Arkansas. And, you know, you can talk about scheme, you can talk about execution, but Georgia's just the best of the best, flat out. So seeing that Missouri can do that to to an elite team, even if they did give up all those points and all those yards, it's not that they did that. It's that you could see a scheme that could work going forward. I don't, I guess, BK, I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I feel like the why to what you are doing in a job, at a sport, you know, whatever, at a school, I feel like that's important. Is that, you know, I know I've, I've heard a lot from just like workplace feedback that especially the millennial generation and the generations that are coming after them are very why centric. Why am I doing this? Mm. Uh, they need to know that there's a reason why they're doing something to make them feel confident in doing that. I, to me, I feel like a why is more of a professional question. Like that, that's a question that you get in the NFL rather than in the college where it's just like, you know, do what I say and that's it. So I'm wondering if like, this is just like, if it's a cultural thing, it's a generational thing, or if it's just a football smarts thing, kids are coming in so much more prepared to play this sport, especially at quarterbacks, but just kind of all around. Do you think that's, that's playing into the, why do I need to do this? And it, you know, does it seem like coaches, especially older ones like Steve Wilkes just need to realize that that's a part of their, their coaching book as well? Maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I know for Baruby, who I mentioned, like, He's a, he's a super old school coach. He's been around the block for a while. He was a player. He was an enforcer. He's a, a tough guy. And it's something that he had to, had to adjust to, admittedly. He, he openly admits that, hey, you know, it, it's something that I, I had to change. I had to learn how to be able to coach these young players. And he spent a lot of time making sure that he was able to do so. So I do wonder if there is some meeting in the middle between Steve Wilkes and the defensive players. He probably came in with some ideas of, hey, this is how I want my defense to look at the college level. And it might have just been too much. Mm -hmm. I don't know that to be true. That's speculation by me, but I don't think that the results would indicate that that's wrong. Uh, And maybe he is going to a a slightly more simple game plan. Hey, when we go up against a run heavy defense or run heavy offense, rather, we're going to have eight guys in the box. That makes sense intuitively. (laughs) When we go up against a, a more passing heavy team like for example, Tennessee, where they're spreading things out. Mm-hmm. We're going to have more defensive backs on the field. Okay, intuitively, again, that makes sense to me. Um, this is obviously simplifying things to its like lowest common denominator form, but those are the kinds of things that, yeah, he might have had to adjust to that level. And then on top of that, not just schematically, but also explaining what he is doing. I do think a lot of kids nowadays, and I include myself in this, I ask why all the time. It's the single biggest question that I probably ask on a day-to-day basis. Why am I doing this and is it the best use of my time, right? Whether that be asking of myself or asking of an employer, asking of people around me, like there, the time, time that you have is the single most valuable thing that you can have. So if I'm a player, yeah, I, I am curious why am I doing this? Now, you can't do that if you're a third string linebacker. You just go do whatever he tells you to yeah. do, right? But if I am trying to think of a good example on this team, like Tyler Beatty probably wouldn't do this because he's he seems to be able to do whatever you ask him to do. Um, but Tyler Beatty has the type of sway within that locker room that if he asks uh, the office coordinator, who happens to be the head coach on this team, why Why are we doing it that way? Probably wouldn't do it in front of everybody, but, you know, in a private moment, does this make sense for us? I think that would be totally reasonable uh, if one of the linebackers went to Steve Wilkes and said, hey, I- I've been thinking about this. You know, I-, I think this might be a better way to do what we've been trying to accomplish. 
maybe he listens to them. You know, I, I do think that's an important part of coaching in 2021. And frankly, if this coaching staff is not doing that, then they're behind the eight ball. And I, I don't believe that they are. It's, it's, it's relationships, right? Anytime mm-hmm. you manage a relationship, it's all about trust. And if you can trust you know, your players to come to you, or you can trust that a coach is going to listen to you when you, when you do something that might not, might not be something that they like having that trust and, and having that open communication can go a long way, not only in building, you know, culture, building relationships, but just being better. You know, you're not afraid to ask questions. You're not afraid to look stupid. You're like, Oh, well I could ask, but I, I'm probably the only one that knows that like creating that, that atmosphere, that, that feedback loop of, you know, you, you tell me what I'm doing wrong and I'll tell you what you're doing wrong. And we'll, we'll, we'll all come to a happy medium. Like, that, that can be tougher to establish than you think, especially at the college level. You know, at the pros, you know, everyone's making a million, billion dollars. So, you know, they're mostly equals and you're all professionals. Yeah, the players are making more than the coaches. Exactly. At that point. exactly. So like, yeah, I like you're, 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 you're definitely coworkers at that point, but the college, that, that dynamic's not always there. And I feel like coaches who can create that dynamic, who, you know, whose doors are always open and they want to get that feedback and they're willing to listen and, and be a little humble and, and have them challenged every once in a while and rise to that challenge both ways um, that goes a long way. And, and if, if we're, we're reading a lot into like one sentence that blaze Aldridge said, but these, this is what you get from, from these conferences, but also, like not just the press conference, but also the, the performance, exactly. right? The press conference was, it, it was an example of what took place on the field on Saturday. So it was, it was a quote that backed up the right. action the words that, def- that kind of help describe what you saw. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. That's why we're going into it. And and maybe you're like, well, maybe we should be deploying a defense that doesn't take nine games to get installed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Easy to say that now, <laughs> you know, when you, when you have all fall practice to establish things and you think you're doing well, you know, practice is practice. And then, you know, live game action is something different. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time for players to, to get the feeling underneath them and for against a real opponent that wants to win. Sometimes it takes a coach to figure out, okay, when I do this, then they do this. Here's how my players react. Here's how college offenses react. Like it, it, it's a, it takes an acclimation period. Um, I will, I will say BK, we've talked about Steve Wilkes getting fired at the end of the year. I happened to drop a list of defensive coordinators a couple of weeks ago that I just thought were doing a great job. And I did not include Steve Wilkes on that list. <laughs> I'm, I'm not so sure that he gets fired at the end of this year. This is TBD TBD. We, we still got three games to play very well. Just get their asses blown out and whatever. However, just what we saw against Vanderbilt once we saw against Georgia and then what we will see in these next three games, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not as certain as I once was, given what we've seen so far that he gets fired at the end of the year. What do you think? Do you think it's fair to say that he is coaching for his job, though? I do believe he is coaching for his job. I do believe Drinkwitz said, "All right, you got these games to figure it out, and we'll reassess at that point." But I don't think it's a certainty that he gets the axe. I, I'm with you. I just, I do think he's. I think the next three games are significant. Mm-hmm. For Steve Wilkes, I think he needs to put together a few good performances here because these are teams you should do well against. You know, you've got the best personnel seemingly on the field now. You've had nine weeks to be able to figure out what does and does not work with this specific collection of players. And as much as the recruiting has has increased the talent level on this team for 2022 and beyond, 
I mean, it's not going to be significantly better defensively next no. year than it is right now. It takes two, three years for that to really start to take shape. So if it's going to be a similar level of talent next year, it can't be the same level of results. Mm -hmm. So these are the types of games that next year, South Carolina, Florida, Arkansas, you're expecting better results against. So show me you can at least have progress in these games because these are kind of on the same level as South Carolina, I would say, mm -hmm. is at least similar to maybe Boston College ish, uh, maybe Central Michigan. Like they're somewhere in that range. Uh, Florida is probably in a similar range to like talent wise, maybe Kentucky slash Tennessee. And then Arkansas is in that range somewhere as well. And we saw what the results looked like defensively earlier in the year. It wasn't good against those teams. Can you improve upon that? Can you be better against these three than you were in the first five games of the season? Really the first four, I'm not even including SEMO. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, that's what you got to show here. You got to show that over the course of the full season, you were able to show progress. And then maybe you can come back and maybe 2022 does look better with Steve Wilkes at the helm. So just just throwing this out here, South Carolina's defense is currently ranked 50th in SP+. Kentucky is 48th. So that's about your closest comparison there. Florida's defense is ranked 33rd. Tennessee's is 35th. Uh, and then Arkansas's defense is 36th. So you're basically playing... Kentucky, Kentucky's defense, and then Tennessee's defense twice in a row. What about offensively? Now, offensively, South Carolina's offense is 88th, which is, uh, other than Vanderbilt, is the worst offense that Missouri has played so far this year. Interesting. Uh, Central Michigan was 75th. That's the closest you're going to get there. Uh, Florida's offense is currently ninth. It's also a shell of what it used to be, but yeah. uh, uh, the closest comparison there would be Tennessee at 12th. And then Arkansas's offense is 35th, which Texas A&M's is 26th. So probably something like that. Um, so, you know, the, the quality of opponent we've seen. Now, what is similar between South Carolina's defense and Boston College's defense is that they both field, both defenses are super old and both offenses are pretty, pretty young. Um, so there is a comparison there. Um, and really, God, oh. I, I did the breakdown of South Carolina's roster. Like they're, they're a middling recruiting team. As far as the sec goes, every single four and five stars on the defense. <laughs> so and like they brought in all these transfers on the offense cause they couldn't find anybody. So it's, it's kind of a weird, uh, a weird setup for this it's team. Almost as if Will Muschamp was their coach. I hear he struggles with offense. <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard something about that. That might've been the MO for him in previous yeah. years. Yeah. So, um, and also pretty good defensively. Pretty good defensively. Like, as much as he is not a great head coach, pretty good defensive he's got, coach. He's got that going on for sure. Um, but yeah, you know, as far as Missouri's defense goes, I, I wrote about this in the in the South Carolina preview today. I think the best thing going forward, as as just a guy watching the games on his couch, is that modified defensive line that they threw out there against Georgia. That's bumping Akil Byers on the outside. He's a big defensive end slash fast defensive tackle. Put him at end. Darius Robinson and Mikai Wingo, who are your kind of slippery defensive tackles that can squeeze through double teams and get through the line on the interior, bring that pressure up the middle, and then put Trajan Jeffcoat on the outside and hope that he can clean up messes. Pair that with a Chad Bailey, who's playing with his hair on fire. Um, that That is, you know, and then stack nine guys in the box. Safeties, linebackers, all that stuff. Make teams throw. Make them throw. Because not everybody has Georgia's talent, 
Certainly South Carolina doesn't. Um, South Carolina does rattle off big plays through the air, but like make them pass, make them make it painfully obvious what they have to do. And then hope that Allie green and a Caleb Evans and uh, Jalen Carly's and, and Martez Manuel can just clean up that mess and, and, mm-hmm. and take care of, take care of business on the back end because every other thing that we've tried so far this season has not worked. And the best results we've got so far uh, was last week against Georgia. So yeah, do that. When, when they have the ball, Nate, what scares you? Like as a Mizzou fan in your heart of hearts and South Carolina has the football and the Tigers are on defense. What scares you? Saquandre White. They're running back. He is a scary dude. How do they stop him? Put nine guys in the box. Make them throw. Okay. <laughs> Seriously. White is averaging seven yards of carry right now. Oh, God. Yeah. Now, he now small sample size. He's only ran it 55 times, but he's averaging 7.3 yards per carry. If he gets to the outside, it's only 4.2. How does he do it? He does it on the inside where he averages 8.4 yards per carry. On the inside. Hold on. You said he has 55 carries on the year? 55 carries for 402 yards. Why? Uh, because they kept trying <laughs> does to put, not seem like a good use of your resources. They kept trying to trot out Kevin Harris, who was all SEC last year, uh, who had back surgery. Uh, and they're not they're not very good at running it. And I can't tell if it's like the offensive line sucks or Kevin Harris kind of sucks this year. But they have gone to White recently, and he's just he has made their running game very, very good. Uh, and as a transfer from Florida State, this is his only year. So you would have thought that uh, they would use him more. But he is a—he uh, is dangerous. And that's going to be no fun if he gets going. Because, well, well, you've seen Missouri play football this year. You know exactly yeah. what that looks like. Yeah, this is, this is what's nice about what we saw last week is you saw the proof of concept of, okay, when you're not going up against the number one team in the country, what could this look like? Well, uh, now we get to find out. The, the game plan you utilized against Georgia, just do a redo of that uh, against South Carolina. And let's see if their quarterbacks can beat you. And I think the answer to that would be no. I mean, they're going to get theirs. There's going to be moments where it looks ugly and you sit there as a Mizzou fan. You're like, why did they have eight guys in the box? And why was everybody one on one? Clearly, that wasn't going to work. And yeah, it's easy to say that after the fact when it works one time, but what about the four previous incompletions where Missouri was able to get pressure or where on second and six, they ended up getting one yard on the ground to force a third and five. Like those are the kinds of things that you're looking for when you're doing something like this. Um, I just, I want to force Jason Brown to beat me because I don't think he can. Uh, Yeah. For, for the record, Jason Brown isn't even the backup quarterback. He's the third string quarterback. He transferred into South Carolina from Penn, like Pennsylvania University, the smart kid school. Um, He transferred in last year, I want to say. And then he's only really gotten playing time this year. Um, But against Florida. Uh, I I don't think he came from Penn, man. He did. It's worse than that. He came from a school in Pennsylvania. (laughs) He came from St. Francis an FCS school in Pennsylvania. Well, why did South Carolina say he came from Penn? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. There, there's things as transfer quarterback from St. Francis. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. 
yeah, man. And I, listen, like maybe he's going to be really good from them moving forward. And he just had. a Well, OK, uh, he was underrated during the recruiting portion of things. Here, here's That's the possible. Thing. But I want that guy to be against good. Florida. The Todd Grantham emotional blitzing Florida, like when they scored 40 points, he was 14 of 24 for 175 yards and two touchdowns. Does that scare you? No, no, no it does not. That that's the guy you want to be. Yes. Um, if if you're able to go into this game and Jason Brown is throwing, let's call it twenty five to thirty passes, and he completes fifteen to twenty of them, yeah, M- Missouri's got a pretty good chance to be able to win that game. Yeah. So that's what you want. Um, I don't know. You know, you, we've put it on tape now, and South Carolina's had an entire week to look at the new front and how it reacts to a very very good Georgia team. I don't know if it's all right. Well, here's how we attack it because this is how Georgia did it. Or oh, well, we can't do what Georgia did because Georgia's Georgia and we're South Carolina. Like I, I don't know what those conversations are like. Frankly, I don't care that they know that this is something Missouri can do. I'm sure there's going to be some wrinkles here and there, and they're not going to trot it out every single play. But to me, that's the best way to shut down the running game, even if it's obvious. You know, I I, I trust Green and Evans, and I, I trust the secondary. Even though they got lit up, I, I just, I trust them against a team like this. So to me, that's the game plan going through. Make Jason Brown beat you. Stetson Bennett can do it because he has Georgia weapons. I'm not sure Jason Brown can with, even with blue chip receivers like Josh Van. I don't think he can consistently. Uh, so I don't, I just, I feel better. And that's such an odd thing to say when you watch your team get get beat 43 to six, but Knowing that Missouri is going to this and can trot this out and can see success, I just, I am so weirdly optimistic about the defense now. I don't even know what to say because it's still 2021 and that doesn't make any sense. Don't be optimistic about it, but I understand why you would feel better today than you did two weeks ago. <laughs> that 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 makes a lot of sense coming off of the Vanderbilt game. Um, the other thing is like now you're you're against a peer program, mm-hmm. right? Going up against Georgia or Texas A&M or even Tennessee, honestly, th- those aren't peer programs when it comes to talent. This is you should be it, when Missouri lines up on Saturday and you look up and down the line of scrimmage, for example, or you look at the wide receiver cornerback matchups on either side. It shouldn't be a significant mismatch either way. Both teams should be relatively similar when it comes to the actual talent that is on the field. That just hasn't been the case in recent weeks. Missouri was significantly more talented than Vanderbilt in North Texas. They were significantly less talented than Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Georgia. This is the first time that we really get to see that again. Mm-hmm. So that that should be reason for optimism. Less so about how good Missouri's defense is <laughs> and more so about just the, the level of expectations relative to their uh, competition. So Missouri is currently 80th in SP plus. If a team has ranked 90th or worse, (laughs) Missouri has beaten them. But any team that's ranked 65th or higher, they've lost. That's your demarcation point right there. Right. Anything higher than 66, let's assume that Missouri can hang and possibly beat anything at 65 or better. Let's just assume they're hang or going to lose. South Carolina is 75th. It's, I mean, we, you, you wrote about it today. I, I want you to read off the, the numbers real quick, but like, 
in the preview, I said Missouri's 80th overall, South Carolina's 75th. South Carolina has the 56th, or sorry, the 88th best offense. Missouri has the 56th best best offense. South Carolina has the 50th best defense. Missouri's is 100th. But, like, these are two teams that are super close in quality. And not only are they super close in quality, but, like, BK, in your piece today, you show just, like, they've basically been the same team for the past 10 years, which just blows my freaking mind. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, I went back and I was curious because I, we had talked about this on the last uh, the last show, how Missouri and South Carolina are the same team this year. They just are. And if you look at what they've done relative to the competition that they've both faced, they are literally the exact same team this year. And that's been the case for a decade now. Over the last 10 years since Missouri entered the SEC. So this is not just cherry picking some sort of data. No, since Missouri joined the conference, Missouri has a record of 67 and 54 overall. South Carolina is 65 and 56. So they've won two fewer games and uh, lost two more games. Basically the same. The conference record for Missouri in this 10-year stretch, 36 and 43. South Carolina in that same stretch, 35 and 45. (laughs) So they've won one fewer game, lost two more games. Again, they are the same almost down to like the exact number, the same team over a decade. That is so incredibly rare. And so whenever we go into the whole like rivalry week thing, and some people will say that it is Arkansas, I think that it's South Carolina because I I think there are multiple different kinds of rivalries in today's college football and I think sports in general. So there's the one that's just convenient and that's Arkansas. Right. That's all about, hey, we happen to play each other every year. There's a sponsor that wants to say that we're we're um, rivals. So let's go ahead and be rivals now. And that's Arkansas for Missouri. And there's been some good games and there's been some that have decent stakes there. And I mean, you look back at 2014, for example, that was a big mm-hmm. one. Um, and there's been some good finishes, but I, I just it doesn't have the oomph to me. Kansas will forever be Missouri's rival. Mm-hmm. Because that is a historical rivalry that is based on more than just a five year stretch or somebody saying you guys are close to one another. Therefore, you are now rivals. It is history. South Carolina is about competitiveness. South Carolina is the most peer program of all peer programs for Missouri. It's in the same conference. They have, as I just mentioned, basically the same record. They recruit on a very similar level. They're in the same division and on a year to year basis, it's typically one of those two teams is going to finish right above the other one. So this to me is the rivalry week for Missouri. Every single season, there have been some awesome games. The stakes have been incredibly high early in the 2010s when Missouri first got to the conference. I'm going to shiver every time I hear the name Connor Shaw for the rest of my Mm -hmm. life because of what happened there. This is the rivalry week, and that's why I'm so excited to watch it once again is because a decade later, after Missouri got into this conference and has had the same record as South Carolina, they are once again in the same spot. And by the way, the trajectories of the programs are the same. Mm -hmm. They had long tenured coaches early in the 2010s. Then they both hired a new guy after their coach was uh, stepped aside for Missouri and let go at South Carolina, basically. Um, And then they had defensive coaches defensive minded coaches, at least uh, that were there for about five years. And now they're trying to start over with a new young coach. So it's it's just crazy how similar these two programs are. And they both live in Columbia. Yeah, (laughs) that too. And like, 
it, it goes even weirder than that because in the preview today I showed, uh, I broke down all of the similar opponents that Missouri and South Carolina have had this year, which mostly divisional opponents plus Texas A&M. Guys, they've had the exact same performance against the exact same opponents. If you go off of win expectancy, Missouri's win expectancy against Georgia, 0%. South Carolina's, 0%. Against Kentucky, Missouri was at 7%. South Carolina, 7%. That's a random number. You don't just get that. Tennessee, both had 0%. Well, Missouri had 0%. South Carolina had 1%. Texas A&M, they were both at 0% win expectancy. And then against Vanderbilt, Missouri had 86% win expectancy. South Carolina, 89%. Like, they have been the same team over and over and over and over again against all of their shared opponents. And now they get to go against each other. Like if this game ends 29-28 on a field goal, like that would just be the, the most perfect ending to this particular game because yeah, just everything about it, they're they're the exact same. Which means you gotta put your best your best guys out there. And I think that kind of leads us to the quarterback position just naturally. Because we're still not totally sure who is going to be playing quarterback on Saturday. Everyone's saying the right thing on Missouri's side. Uh, Brady Cook was made available to the media. Of course, he was asked point blank, are you starting? He said, hey, I prepare every week like I'm the starter. <laughs> okay, great. Good job. Um, but like at this point, we know Bazelak has been at practice. The media saw him at practice, like dressed out. Uh, so we know he can. But practicing is not playing. So I'm going to ask you this question, BK, going off of a lot of assumptions. But for you, you are, you are Eli Drinkwitz, and you are told you must win this game against South Carolina. Do you trot out at quarterback a, let's say, 75% healthy Connor Bazelak, 100% healthy Brady Cook, or 100% healthy Tyler Macon, which do you go with? Okay, so I'm not starting Bazelak if he's not healthy. I'm going to start there because it seems like this is some sort of a soft tissue thing. And in that case, there is real risk of re-injury. I'm not doing that. Not when the season is, I mean, you're four and five right now. And I know I'm, I have optimism about what the rest of the year can look like, but I'm not risking a kid's health to be able to no. do that. So I'm not going with Connor Bazelek. And then it comes down to the same conversation that we had last week between Cook and Macon. Let me start with this. Do you know, in terms of quarterback rating allowed, how many teams in the SEC have been better this year than South Carolina? They rank where mm. in quarterback rating allowed? I do not know. I would guess in the SEC... 10th 5th 4th excuse me 4th they have 12 interceptions on the season okay well that'll do it which excuse it (laughs) leads the sec Mm -hmm. 12 touchdowns allowed 12 interceptions on their side Mm -hmm. so they are very opportunistic meanwhile do you know where they rank in terms of yards per carry allowed in the sec (laughs) (laughs) um Yards per carry specifically, I do not know, but I I can tell you that their run defense is ass. So you tell me. 
Yeah, they're tenth. It's okay. not good. <laughs> That's what um, they, they are. They're ahead of only Vanderbilt, Florida, and Missouri. Mm-hmm. So it has not gone well for South Carolina defensively against the run. Meanwhile, they are very opportunistic against the pass. And in general, people just don't have efficiency whenever they're throwing against South Carolina. They have a pretty low completion percentage. They have a very low yards per attempt. They give up a, or they end up with a lot of interceptions on the back end. South Carolina defensively just super opportunistic on the back end. So I say all that to say this. I'm going based on the matchup and the matchup would dictate I need to run a lot in this game. So I'm going to get the best version, in my opinion, of Tyler Beatty by putting Macon out there. And that is also the thing that the opposing team has the toughest issue, uh, the, the toughest. They have the hardest time solving. So I'm going with my best running offense, which includes Tyler Macon. I'm starting Macon in this game, and I think I'm using him for the majority of the game. Where would you go? So I know that South Carolina's de- defense struggles against the run and is pretty good against the pass. Um, I know that. I also know that Missouri can alter their defense and find a way to shut down Georgia's rushing attack. I'm fairly confident South Carolina has the ability to do the same thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm kind of skewing my own words here. I asked who I would start, and that that is you know the point of the exercise because you kind of assume, okay, which quarterback are you trotting out there? I, I agree that Tyler Macon is going to be the best quarterback to have an effective running game. But what happens when they do something to address that? Do you bring in Bazelak or do you bring in Cook? I don't know. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, Macon, you know, he's got the funky delivery. He likes to do Patrick Mahomes it, you know, sidearm or get, get weird with it. And the receivers weren't really doing a very good job of helping him against Georgia anyway. But you can't just go out there and say, well, they are bad at this and therefore we are going to find success doing this. So for me, I would not try out Bazelak if he is injured. I am with you on that. I'm going to keep him on the bench and have him have his Connor Shaw moment if he needs it. Um, but I'm actually going to try out cook. And the reason I'm going to, I'm going to put him out there is that it's going to not be so obvious what Missouri is going to be doing. I think you could commit to the run with Tyler Macon and you could, very well blow eight yard holes in this defense and, and just, you know, have a day. I'm assuming that they're smart enough to cover up for that. And I'm assuming if you are doing that, then you need to at least have the threat of throwing the ball. And the one that I trust the most to make a safe choice, throwing the ball while also having the willingness and desire to run the ball. If he sees the opportunity is cook. I think he is basil. He's a, he's basically a blend of basil safe passing and Macon's ability to, to run it. Not talent, but ability. So yeah. I would trot out Cook and see how it goes. Kind of like on the Sunday show, if you're in the red zone or you need a short yardage situation or you want to get funky, throw out Macon. If you're down, <laughs> again, you want to have a Connor Shaw moment, put in like. But for me, I would trot out Cook and see how long he can he can go in the game. So the reason why I said I would go with Macon based on the uh, opponent, and I get what you're saying, like just because the opponent's bad at it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do it against them. I want to see it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I'm with you. Okay. With you. Go ahead. Stop it. If if they are going to do it, and they do, as you mentioned, if it goes poorly for you in the first quarter and it's clear that you're just not going to be able to run the ball against South Carolina because they've adjusted to what you're trying to do, they very well may 
okay, you you go a different route. You know, they're going to have two game plans in this week. I I would be surprised if they don't. If Tyler Macon ends up having some success on the ground, they might stick with it. If Brady Cook is just no pun intended, cooking out there um, through the air, then yeah, stick with him as well. Go with the hot hand. That That's what you should do in this type of a situation because nobody has really grasped that job. But if I see, hey, on one hand, they're really good against this area of the game. And on the other hand, they're really bad against this area. I'm going to go with my strength against their weakness. And if they can't stop it, great. I'm just going to keep going to that. Mm-hmm. And if they do end up stopping it, okay, now we've got to adjust on the fly and let's see what ends up happening from here. But to start things out, I would just run the ball. Just like if I was an opposing team against Missouri, I'm not throwing it until you prove it to me that you can stop it. Just not doing it. There's no reason to. You are giving Missouri what they want you to do. Um, And against Georgia, they eventually showed that they could stop it. So Georgia had to throw the football. But most of this year, opposing offensive coordinators have just been gifting Missouri the chance to be able to go up against the pass when they have no chance of being able to stop the run. So I want to see that against short or against South Carolina. Let's see if you can I do think it. that's fair. I uh, know I've criticized basically every offensive coordinator that's gone up against Missouri and thrown it like you are stupid. I, I have said that out loud many times. I, I know that. Um, and maybe it's just and to be fair. South Carolina's defense is nowhere near as bad as Missouri. No, it's bad, no. but it ain't it, it ain't no, Mizzou's. No, 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 it's not. The interesting thing to me is that because there's such a pressure focused defense, it's like it's a it's a four two five three three five hybrid because they have this guy Kingsley Anagbare, who is kind of an outside linebacker, kind of a defensive end. I think he just they just call him a buck, so like like a rush end, and he kind of floats all over the field. And he's he's a he's a just a disruption machine. He is constantly creating pressure. He's constantly rushing into the line from a, diff, a bunch of different places, and you can the linebackers kind of mirror that on the other side. And so they bring different kinds of exotic blitzes too. And so they are really good at not giving up big plays on the ground. They are terrible. One of the worst in the nation at giving up big plays through the air. So it's, it's, it's very much like a a tantalizing, like, Ooh, if only we could connect, (laughs) if only we could make it happen. (laughs) Like it's like that, that uh, arrested development meme. And it's like, Oh no, everyone tries it and it never works for them but maybe it'll work for us. It's, it's very much how every offense corner is like, look, they're going to shut down our passing game, but if we hit on a big one, maybe we, it'll work for us. So I don't, I don't envision Tyler Beatty getting 20 yard gains, 15, 20 yard gains on the ground, basically at all against a team like this. I think it's going to be a lot of three, four, five. Um, and you're going to have to pass at some point. I mean, you could just run, 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 and just, you know, Three yards in a yeah, cloud of dust. That's what Tyler Macon's for. He's the one that gets you the ten yes. yards. Yes, you know the three yards in a cloud of dust, and you got two guys running instead of one guy running. Yes, but you know you're going to have that open runner at some point, and it would be nice to have someone who could hit that. We've seen Macon do it once. I just, I'm always, I'm always nervous to put all of my eggs in one, one style, one thing, and 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 to put Macon out there is really committing to the run. And you know what? You're right. It could, it could work like a charm. And then we go, yeah, why the hell did we even pass in the first place? We're just going to run triple option. Let's do this. Um, so I, I understand that, but it's also Missouri, South Carolina, and no matter the quality of opponent, this game is always close. So you need to have something to take advantage of every little weakness. And and the big ex, uh, explosive pass plays is one of those things that you want to take advantage of. 
I don't know if making her cooks better equipped to do that. I, I, maybe either, maybe none, but, um, I was about to say, I mean, we've seen this Missouri passing offense all year. The answer is probably none, none yeah, of the above. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just, it, it's unlikely, not just because of the quarterbacks, but I think the receivers aren't particularly equipped yeah. for the deep passing game. That being said, I do think this is a game where unlike last week, Boo Smith better get some snaps. So what, what the I heck happened I don't to need Boo you Smith? to get 20, but Boo Smith had zero last week. Did not see the field. Opposing teams know exactly what he's going out there to do. Because he ain't going to be running a deep drag. Like, that's not what you're putting him in there for. He's not running a quick slant. Um, that dude is running straight down the field as fast as he can. And the chances are it's probably coming his way. May or may not be completed, but it's coming his way. So put him out there for, you know, five or ten snaps against South Carolina. And if you connect on one of those, great. He's your best chance to be able to hit a big play right now down the field. So I want to see more of Boo Smith in this game. Because uh, he he at least gives you an opportunity to connect on those big plays that you're talking and he, about. And even if he doesn't, he takes the safety away. Yeah. And if it's not Smith, then then Hester. Because both, uh, Smith is averaging 36 yards per catch and 29 yards per target. And Hester is averaging <laughs> 21 yards per catch and 13 yards per target. Like, one of those two, just also very have good. him run a nine, take his corner away have the safety play over the top and go, Oh oh God, Hester or Smith's out there. I gotta, I gotta watch out and just give them some room to run. Like, again, this is, this is elementary stuff. Drinkwitz knows that he can do this. We're not, we're not bringing anything new to the table. We're just saying, why isn't Smith playing? Because yes, he is a one trick pony, but that one trick is so freaking good and game breaking that he he should really be out there more. And I, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, put Hester out there for a backside post because that seems to be the, the spot where he typically ends up getting the big play mm-hmm. from. Uh, put put Boo Smith on <laughs> the strong side, yeah. have him run a go, uh-huh. and then you've got like one guy in the slot that's running sort some sort of underneath pattern as just you know some sort of a checkdown, and you've got Tyler Beatty open in the flat just in case. So. Uh, You've got options there. You've, you've got it's probably Barrett Bannister. Let's be honest, lining up in yep. the slot. He's going to run five yards and find the open zone underneath. And if you don't have one of J.J. Hester or Boo Smith open deep, you check it down and you live to fight another day. But in the meantime, at least you've got the opportunity to be able to throw it deep. I don't know how much you're going to be able to see something like that from Kiki Chisholm, for example. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, give those guys more opportunities. I don't need them to be out there for the entire game. But again, 10 to 15 snaps seems totally reasonable for Boo Smith. And J.J. Hester is a guy that I would just like to see more of, but I think I'm going to lose that battle, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, he either can't run block or he's a terrible practice player. You know, that's... Or all the above. Yeah. By the way, Barrett Bannister, for his career, he has 83 catches. If I told you he had 700 yards, would you say that he has more than that or less than that? How many catches did you say? Eighty-three yes? catches and seven hundred yards. Over or under? Um, I would probably take the under because I feel like he is every third and five he gets you five. Every <laughs> yeah. third and six he gets you yeah. six, and every third and ten he gets you six. Yeah. Uh, eighty-three catches over his four years playing. He has seven hundred thirty-one yards. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. How many first? I don't know. I might be putting you in a bad spot here. How many first downs does he have? So I've kept track in 2020 and 2021. Um, 
2020, he had 27 catches. He had 13 first downs that he was responsible for. 2021, he's got 21 catches, and he's responsible for 11 first downs. Yeah. Because, because I knew in the first two years, like, he's just the third down conversion guy. So I started keeping track of it. And it, it's actually less than I thought it was going to be. Um, but he also just gets more unique usage in the Drinkwitz offense. Like, with Dooley, he was yeah. just like, all right, run in the sticks and throw it to him. Um, okay, so I, here, I've, I just pulled this up from CFB Stats. Okay. And take it for what it's worth. They're typically pretty um, reliable, but you just never know. In 2019, on third down specifically, seven receptions, six first downs. So six of the seven receptions went for a first down. In 2020, seven receptions on third down, five resulted in a first Uh, down. Okay. (laughs) I don't agree. What do they have for 21? Uh, in 2021, he has three receptions on third down, all of which resulted in a first. Yeah, really selling him short there, man. Okay. <laughs> what do I know? I just watch every game four times and track this <laughs> stuff religiously. Well, I we we talked about um, who's going to leave. We you think he's coming back, right? Bannister. Yeah. Yeah, why yeah, not? Why wouldn't he? Okay. I mean, he might as well come back and catch was, a few more first downs on third I down. I forget who I was reading, but somebody had like their, their um, one of the beat writers had their piece. I'm like, okay, so you know, here's the incoming class. Here's who we expect to leave. And Bannister's name was on there. I'm like, he's got, where's he going? Like, again, one trick, convert I mean, third downs. Maybe he goes to somewhere in Arkansas and just like wants to oh be closer to home again. I, I, I could see would that. happen, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, that that feels that feels right. Um, but I mean, if he wants to just keep playing college football, Mizzou's a pretty good place to do it. <laughs> he's got to get opportunities. He's he's getting snaps over Mookie Cooper and Chance Looper, so yeah, like yeah. this is a good place to Why be. <sighs> anyway, yeah, I, I it's, what were we talking about? Quarterbacks. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Just get in a hole. So I would start Tyler Macon and you would start Brady Cook. <laughs> right. And neither one of us is starting. And that's why we were talking about first down percentage for their fourth leading receiver. None of us are starting starting Connor, which means he will get the start on Saturday because I don't think he's going to. All right. I don't. It's not reporting. That's speculation, but I don't think he's going to start. I mean, even if he was healthy like this. I'm not saying I'm glad that the injury happened because no, that was terrible. I don't want to see Connor Basilek hurt at the same time. That's a really great cover for you to say, Hey Connor, we're going to shut you down for the season. We're going to see what everyone else can mm-hmm. do. Cause we don't, we don't want you to hurt yourself long-term where you can't compete long-term and we might as well, we got two guys. Let's just figure out what we can do. So um, it is a convenient kind of cover to, to give the other guys a shot. And I know you, you want to win football games, you know, in the now in 2021 and, Drinkwitz and his staff are doing that to the best of their ability, but you also need to win games in the future too. And it just makes way more sense to have the younger guys get experience against real competition instead of trying the same guys out over and over and over again. So um, love to see cook or Macon. I don't care who starts. I think either one would do just fine. I'd like to see Smith. I'd like to see Hester. Um, I, 
you know, as far as offensive line, it looks like it's Connor Wood going forward and Xavier Delgado and, and Luke Griffin alternating. So if you're just going to start your older, older receivers, cause they run block better, that's fine. But there is one obvious weakness to the South Carolina defense and neither Kiki Chisholm nor Towski Dove nor Barrett Bannister can take advantage of it. So I would like to see some of that incorporated into the game plan. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but um, there are ways to win this game against a, a pure opponent. And I, I think regardless, it's going to be close, uh, which means it'll be a good game. Um, you have a score prediction that you want to share? Oh gosh. Oh boy. What do I think is going to happen in this game? <laughs> I, I think this could be a classic. Uh, like a, I really like a classic for Mizzou yeah. or like all time classic. No, no, the stakes aren't high enough for it to be an all time classic. Um, right now, Vegas views this as an even pick them. Really? Uh, the over under is set at 55. Vegas uh, is basically throwing its hands up and saying, I don't know. You figure this out because <laughs> this essentially says ah, 28, 27. Somebody will win yeah. it. And that's kind of how I feel, to be totally honest with you. I think I would probably take the slight over. Uh, this has the makings of a game where a special teams miscue or a defensive big turnover decides it. I think I will take Missouri 31-27. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I feel like in that range, one way or the other is kind of what you're looking at on Saturday. But... I think Missouri finds a way to pull this one out. If it was in the other Columbia, I I think I might take South Carolina. Mm -hmm. But because it's at home and because this defense is playing a little better right now, or at least playing their best players and seemingly making adjustments, I'll take Mizzou 31-27. I'm going to say this is going to be a rare game where I actually pick Missouri to win. I'm going to say 30-28. and. Missouri drives at the end of the game, puts thicker at a 45 yard kick and he makes it I love walk it. off. I need another thicker walk off that, that, that feels Did you right. see that burger. Yeah. From big 12. <sighs> I popped the Tums just looking at it, man. Like that was indigestion city, but it looks delicious. Oh my god! I think it was what was it two and a third pounds? Let me pull it back up because I was salivating. Uh, so this is Campus Bar and Grill. No, it's Big Twelve. That might be what they're called, but it's Big Twelve. They really changed their name. They finally changed their name to Campus. Well, that's heresy. it used to be Big Twelve. Now it's Campus. That's initially Big Twelve. Okay, so Big Twelve. What are you doing? What are you doing? Um. So it's called the Thicker Kicker Burger, because of course it is. Um, it is two one-third pound patties, four strips of bacon. Oh, I thought it was... No, no. I read that so no, wrong. No. I thought it was two and a third no, no, no. pounds. <laughs> two one-third pound patties. Like more than two pounds of burgers. I would, I would love that, but no. Um, four <laughs> strips of bacon, so that's where they make it up. Two slices of Colby Jack, if you're a cheese person. Uh-huh. Lettuce, tomato. And then they got a thick with two C's cut onion ring and a special sauce, which I'm assuming the special sauce is kicking field goals. I don't, I don't know how you put that in a flavor. I think it's thousand Island, but it's all the same. (laughs) 
Yeah, it looks delicious. Uh, you can you can go on to uh, their their Twitter. It's oh, they even uh, at Campus SEC Bar. It's Big Twelve, y'all. Yeah. Big Twelve. Um, you can go on to at Campus SEC Bar. You can see a picture of this monstrosity. I need to get down to Columbia and taste that because it it tastes like three points from fifty yards away is what it tastes like. I'm sure. It looks awesome. It looks incredible. This is what NIL was made it for. It really was, yes. Harris and Mevis having a thicker kicker burger at Big 12 is everything I could have asked for and then some <laughs> from NIL. So I'm here for it. I appreciate it. I also love that the Mizzou kicker is the guy that is just thriving off of NIL. <laughs> He's getting t-shirts made. Mm-hmm. He has a burger at a local bar. When we said at the beginning, hey, there are going to be some sort of like folk heroes basically mm-hmm. on teams that end up being able to make money that otherwise would not have been able to. This is what we're talking about, right? Yeah. It's the it's the kicker for Mizzou. Max Copeland, when he was at Missouri, he would have done great oh, with man. NIL because yeah. he was such a character. Like, you, you have to have some sort of story behind you. And that's what that's what Harrison Mevis has become. So huge credit to him. And this is a roundabout way once again to say, I hope that he ends up kicking the game winning field goal on Saturday. <laughs> and then going to Big 12 and eating the burger with his namesake on it. Absolutely. I know you're you're a you're a healthier guy. Would you would you eat this thing? Oh, yeah. Sunday, you got the the dollar burgers and then one of these guys and a dollar big uh, Bud Light. Hell yeah. hundred percent. I am a fat kid through and through. I would have two of these and then probably yeah. die. Um, but yes, I, I think this is, this is going to be a, a standard Missouri, South Carolina game, which means it is nail biter down to the wire. Um, Tyler Beatty over a hundred yards on the ground. Yes. No. Uh, I would probably take over. Yeah. yeah. I think he's going to get over. I don't know if anyone else is going to have a great day, but um, I do think he's going to get his just because he seemingly does when he, when he actually puts in the effort against the teams. So, or not, not who will be Missouri's leading receiver on Saturday. Ooh. There's like seven different questions asked wrapped up into yeah. one here. Who's going to be the starting quarterback. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's the game plan going to be? Are they going to have a big shot that lands down the field to one of their guys? Uh, there's there's a lot wrapped into this question, but who do you think leads them in receiving? I mean, yards? look, Tyler Beatty is leading the team in targets and catches, <laughs> uh, not yards, but he's third. So it's a safe bet to say that Tyler Beatty is going to be the most high usage player. And given South Carolina's competency and defending the passing game, I'm going to say Tyler Beatty is the leading rusher and the leading pass catcher. What do you think? I mean, it's a smart bet. I'm going to go Toski Dove. I think he... He had a great game last few weeks. He did. You know? He did. I He's quietly having a pretty good season this year once again. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I'm going to go Toski Dove. I think he has become really their most reliable receiver on a on a down-in, down-out basis. So I'll go Toski Dove as being that guy. Do you know who the leading receiver as far as yards is on the team currently? Um, Is it Chisholm? It is not. It is Dove. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. 454 yards. Chisholm's at three, 399. That makes sense. Yeah, those are the two guys that from start to finish so far this year have been reliable for them. Mm-hmm. 
it goes oh my god I, everybody gets target i know that's how this passing game goes number one receiver as far as yards number one receiver duff number two chisholm number three Beatty at 315 number four chance looper at 203 who i have not seen take a snap in two games so that's interesting and then jj hester, JJ hester with 195 right yeah. <laughs> again okay Okay. Dominic Lovett, by the way, has 22 receptions for 165 yards. Boo Smith has four for 147. (laughs) My God. My God. Mookie Cooper has 10 more receptions than Boo Smith and has 40 fewer yards or 25 fewer yards rather than Boo Smith. (laughs) Incredible. Boo Smith touches the ball and scores touchdowns. That's it. That's all he does. Rainmaker. And he also weighs 150 pounds. That's just, and beautiful. that's why he plays 10 snaps. That's right. That's right. Cause he cannot run block. Um, I know we are really digging into some holes here, but any, any parting thoughts before we, uh, before we get out, enjoy of this one, Mizzou fans there, yeah. there are very few games over the course of a college football season, especially for a team like Mizzou, where you go into it and you say to yourself, this could be a really fun afternoon. And Saturday could be a really fun afternoon for, for Missouri mm-hmm. fans. I don't know how it's going to go. I think it's if I had to pick like I did, I would take the Tigers. But Vegas is right. This is a legitimate pick them. So that that allows for a lot of opportunities for what could be a really compelling football game, even if it might be ugly and it very well may. uh, This this has the chance to be another one of those games between these two teams that five years from now, we're like, how in the hell did that happen? (laughs) So enjoy it. Have some fun with it. It should be a really exciting, enjoyable game on Saturday. Yeah. And close games are always better when you win them. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But like there is something fun in a back and forth, uh, especially against a team like this. So, uh, yeah, and it's a later kickoff. We don't have to wake up at the butt crack of dawn to start tailgating. You know, it's 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 later. So you get to enjoy some some good food, some good meats, some drinks. Go get yourself a kicker thicker burger. Um, Enjoy the afternoon because that's that's what college football Saturdays are made for. So. That's the, uh, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear any kind of feedback from you guys. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards, and he is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis on 101 ESPN. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.